Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is the quite frankly unbelievable Minute 90. Uh, Wow, we've come a long way, Minute 90. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and returning with me today is my enjoyable, outgoing, and shrewd guest co-host, Sean German. Welcome, Sean. That's nice. That's nice. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for having me back duncan very glad to be that's here. nice, <laughs> that's nice. Uh, was that a callback to tron right there was that, <laughs> that right? was that was um a callback to the movie that we're watching it's yeah. nice yeah <laughs> well he doesn't go that all out he doesn't say it's nice <laughs> i don't know why i did it that way that would have been a very weird moment priority one yeah that would have been cool if he had some sort of priority one you know like <laughs> Because it's like, like, who does he calculate he is? They always throw, try to make this computer <laughs> slang. That would have been uh, that would have been good. So let's see. What happens in this minute? Flynn is reassembled and gets the coveted proof that he was the sole designer of his video games. While Dillinger comes into work and is about to receive some bad news from his huge magic desk. So we start off with more trippy visuals of the trip back to reality. We get some kaleidoscopic visuals that very much remind me of some of the sequences in the film Brainstorm starring Christopher Walken and Louise Fletcher, that Natalie Wood's last film. I love that movie so hard, and I can't recommend it enough. I'd like to do it as a a movie by minute. It was directed by Douglas Trumbull, who's like a a titan of the special effects industry. And he did a lot of the effects for Blade Runner and then not only headed up the effects for Brainstorm, but also directed the film, which is which is something else. And it almost didn't come out because Natalie Wood's death was really made the company go, you know what, forget it. We'll just collect the insurance on it because nobody's going to go see it. But then he really, uh, really championed for its release. And I'm glad he did. That movie blew my mind. But yeah, Richard that... Hall, you know, what's that? I was just saying, just uh, echoing what your sentiment said, it's a, a, a really interesting film, and certainly if people haven't seen it, they should they should check it out with with some good special effects sequences and a lot of really ethical questions and a lot of a very prescient because it was all it's a pre internet movie that uh, doesn't feel like it, you know. Like there's a lot of really cool tech in there that seems like tech that was not the actual brain recording, but like all of the the modems and stuff that they're using seems. Very, uh, very, very practical. It's a great, great film. But Richard Hollander, an artist that did some of the effects for Brainstorm, often bounced between Robert Abel and associates with a bunch of artists of that era. They would all they would go from like Star Trek to Tron to Empire Strikes Back to Blade Runner to Brainstorm, like picking up and sharing the techniques between the effects houses. So I don't think it's a coincidence that this uh, kaleidoscopic journey that they're on kind of looks like some of the Brainstorm transitions, like. It's like uh, slit scan, slit scan technology. It looks like parts of it. Mm-hmm. So I imagine similar teams worked on both of them. Makes sense. We got a shot of the nozzle of uh, Shiva. <laughs> that's the, the that's an actual laser, by the way, at the Lawrence nice. Livermore Laboratories in California, and it's called Shiva. It doesn't take apart oranges, but uh, it does blast little. Uh, what I think they're trying to create fission uh, a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Well, like there's a little bit of the 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 kaleidoscopic animation fades into, I guess, like an electron's view coming out of the laser. You sort of see a little bit of the lab at the end of a a tunnel. That's right. 
and we get a little uh, in the actual uh, nozzle of the laser. We get a, um, a little glowing green energy in it, and mm-hmm. uh, we get a shot of it spraying blue energy out of its nozzle towards the chair. On all of these shots, uh, you can tell they're just still images with hand animation overlaid on top of them, like painstakingly at, at, at great cost of effort and time. But these are all they, they went in to this laser bay and they just took some very high resolution photographs so that's why they're all kind of locked off is they're just plates with uh with animation uh, laid over top of them which is cool because not it's not like there's traffic going by it's i mean it's all static machinery so you can uh mm-hmm. you can do that kind of thing and there was like no room in there for the for the for the for the you know, Volkswagen sized, well, not Volkswagen sized, but the giant 65 millimeter cameras. Like it's a very narrow and awkward place to shoot in. And, uh, and so they did, they did the best with what they could. They had, they had some storyboards and then they saw the, the actual space and they're like, ah, you know, okay, can we take out this support structure? And they're like, no, you cannot. It's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> we, we can't. So, all right. So they, they did what they could. Just got it. Kind of, it's good because all the shots here are a little claustrophobic, and that that kind of works, I think. Uh, we get a sort of uh, yeah Shiva POV of the chair, uh, and all of the blue and green lines and shapes shoot towards a common point of convergence, uh, making Jeff Bridges' body start to appear in blue dots and grids, still frozen in the same position where he was sucked into the computer at the beginning of the film sprawled and spread eagled with his head thrown back. Like he's in the middle of having his chair tipping backwards or something. Now I've often, uh, thought that bringing a program into this world would mean that it would die. Like, would it have energy for blood? You know, like that's that there's one shot, the one, the one, the one crux that really bothered me in legacy, which I still, I mean, I've kind of made my peace with, but more than anything else, uh, where Flynn gets, uh, young young Sam Flynn gets cut in the grid and he bleeds, like a drop of a drop of blood comes out and I'm like no 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 like if you're if you're in the grid, you have a grid body, you don't have human blood, right? So that's kind of the they needed they needed him to bleed so they could say oh, he's a user in much the same way that they needed metachlorians in you know, uh, the, the, for the Phantom Menace there so that, uh, Qui-Gon could say, oh my gosh, Anakin's got a lot of the force when he could have just sensed it. And I, I, I sort of like the idea of, of Tron just sensing that, uh, Flynn was a user instead of actually seeing the blood, because if you see that blood, then that kind of changes everything. Like if you bring a program into our world, then what kind of blood do they have? Do they still have bits and glowing electrons for for blood you know or do they you know have if they get if they get made into meat in the transition here then we should get made into pure energy on the transition there so when um when flynn is sort of reconstituted here in this minute as as you said he's he's kind of restored to his previous state he was just yeah. you know when he was a assimilated or sucked in or whatever happened in the beginning his you know his his state at that point was saved and now it's going back to a restore yeah 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 if you yeah if you were bringing a program out and you know out of that world and putting it into our world you wouldn't have a previous state to restore you'd have to 
whatever you made would be new, kind of re- you know fabricate the the meat stuff yeah. and bones and blood and everything from scratch. It would be it would be a lot. There'd be a lot of improvisation that would uh, I think need to happen yeah. and i don't know if like if as soon as it would create it would it start to break down like because it would it be would it be immediately infected with the seven million viruses in the air <laughs> that we're all just immune to now after millions of years of exposure yeah you know and this i mean this is these are all thoughts for the legacy minute i guess yeah. but i mean because they had flynn stored in the memory bank so they just had to reverse the process and, and ban his right. in but um, but yeah it doesn't and, yeah I'm, that you would it doesn't make sense that you would bleed when you were inside yeah. 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 So that, what would that, happen that, on the outside. That's... Well, and he can't be, and I touched one of my previous podcasts uh, covering the, the movie Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, we had a similar thought of, so Flynn is restored, like physically, but he seems to have, I don't know, well, I guess, I guess it's a question. Does he, does he have the memories? Does he remember the experience of being inside the computer or is he truly restored to the state where he was when he went in and he does not know what happened oh that's in that's a good question because hours. it doesn't get addressed right like he 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 rockets forward looks around sees the printout says yeah. oh boy it's it's conceivable that he has no recollection like he just had a a moment of like you know, you, you dream that you're falling. So you're like, whoa, whoa. Like it, it's conceivable that he thinks he just had one of those moments. Yeah. And now, oh, look, a printout is happening. Oh, hey, I'm in the clear. Like maybe he has in the novelization. He definitely mem- remembers it, although it's kind of like a dream. Okay. Like he comes. He remembers it clearly when he comes out, starts to fade just a little bit. Kind of like he's kind of like, wow, what? what was that? You know, like he starts to sort of lose the, he sort of, he keeps the big picture, but he starts to lose the specifics, but he does remember the experience. Yeah. Cause so I it, always, uh, I, from the film, I always assumed he remembered. Yeah. But yeah. then the, the, well, the, the groundhog day connection is Phil Connor relives the same day over and over again. And he can't, he can't be physically hurt. If he, if he dies, if he's yeah. electrocuted, whatever happens physically, he's restored. But yeah. somehow he's able to build memories and, aren't, yeah. and and learn things. But aren't those physically, you know, the brain is a physical thing. It's an organ. So yeah. isn't there a physical change? When you learn something, there's a physical change in your brain. So when he's physically reset, shouldn't it reset, you know, his memories and everything he's learned and so on? Yeah. And then it yeah, it just occurred to me the same thing with Flynn. If, it, if he's just being restored to the way he was, what? 60 minutes ago in the film at his then, literal save point at his literal last yeah, a literal save, save point. point. Yeah. So then he should have no, no memory of, of what happened. It, yeah. It should just be like, Oh, he just fell asleep from his point of view. He just fell asleep in the chair and started to slip, you know, started to lean back and yeah. fall. And then he suddenly jolted awake and then, Oh wait, the thing I've been looking for just happens to be printing out right next to me. Yeah, that's definitely that's uh hmm. that's an aspect of it. And also like to with Groundhog Day, I mean I don't know if our brains are equipped to handle 10,000 years of memories. <laughs> right? Which is like I think some yeah. some theories are that he was in there for up to 10,000 years or I think that Ramus was saying something like 10,000 years, but I think people I think he did the math and it's more like a thousand or something like I it, think it, uh Yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly, but yeah, 10,000 yeah. is pretty much 
I assume that, yeah, at some point it's, he has to forget some things to make room to remember some others. Yeah. That the brain gets full at, at some point, I, I assume. Is a question, uh, uh, a question, I showed Groundhog Day to my, bro- to my, uh, to my daughter and she said, uh, she's uh, nine and she's, she's eight and a half uh, coming up on nine. And she said, in Groundhog Day, would you rather be the person going through the loop knowing and remembering or would you rather be one of the other people in the town going through the loop forever and ever but having no idea yeah well that's like, a that's a great question one, that's a which really one deep would you question. would you rather be and i was like oh, i don't know that's a really good that's a deeply philosophical question i think i'd rather be one of the people in the town that has no idea hmm. but that's just uh that because i think i would go bonkers i think i would Def. It's like I think you were saying there was no. They don't go to the dark minutes where he kills everybody in the town, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, just to see if he can. They don't. Uh, they don't go there. But that's something that I think would uh, would take place. But anyway, that's the Groundhog Day minute. <laughs> go listen to it. Groundhog it's fantastic. Minute. I highly recommend it. Uh, definitely go listen to the Groundhog Day minute. Yeah, if you want to explore those type of questions a little bit more, that's the kind of thing we do there. But, um, yeah, it's a wonderful. But so here, film. yeah, here, in here Tron but World, also here in Tron World. Also, let's hope that Flynn got put back together okay, because that is <laughs> that is a lot of bits to keep track of. Like we did the math back in the beginning, and his yeah. entire his entire biological weight at four hundred and fifty five exabytes a gram, assuming he weighs about a hundred kilograms, is four hundred and fifty five thousand exabytes, and one exabyte is a quintillion bytes. Like just for reference, a hundred years of uncompressed video at eight K UHD, seven six like seven thousand six hundred eighty by forty three twenty pixels at one hundred and twenty frames per second at sixteen bit color, would be seventy two exabytes. Okay, that's like a sixth <laughs> of a gram of biological matter. So mm-hmm. one exabyte could hold a hundred thousand times the printed material of the Library of Congress. Like in two thousand seven, they estimated that all of the data stored in the world was only two hundred ninety five exabytes. So that's still around a half of a gram of biological weight. And Jeff Bridges is a lot more complicated than an orange, you know. So <laughs> I, I suppose it would have been horrific to have him materialize inside out like a transporter accident or, <laughs> or, or have him feel fine only to sprout like 50 tumors six days later or have his clothes permanently fused to him or whatever. That would be a bit of a downer. But remember that scene in the Star Trek movie where we get to see a, a transporter accident? Yeah. Well, yeah, also, I'm I'm thinking of Galaxy Quest, the the transporter incident where the um the the creatures turned inside out. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, it seemed like um well, and then so it was the MCP that sucked him in. Yeah. Apparently, whatever program at least spits people out, like it's still operational. What if it turned out it's like great, you. You, you freed the systems, the IO towers are firing, <laughs> you know, programs are communicating with their users, but yeah, the, your, your path home, yeah, you need the MCP. He was yeah, the only un- guy who, that was the program that knew how to work the oh, laser. Yeah, sorry, but the MCP was in charge of the laser. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Good, good news, bad news situation. Good news, bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, 
like Yori who had a big part of it. So and Yori's still alive. So maybe she was uh, her program was somewhat responsible. That would have been kind of cool if um. Because we never got to meet her before. It's something that we've talked about. It's when we first meet her character inside the mm-hmm. grid, she's already been kind of zombified by the MCP, right? So she's she's kind of walking around in a fog before, right, before right. Tron's like, hey, 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 wake up. You know, I'm here. And she's like, oh, 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 hi, hi. Oh, you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, let's let's go on an adventure. But um, it would have been cool in this scene if, uh, be like, well, what happened to Flynn? And she gets like a... You know, her eyes kind of film over as she calculates, and then she's like, "Oh no, he's back. He's been uh, he's been reassembled, or so." Like she knows that her program's been accessed and used to work the laser in some way, so she knows that he's okay. Right. If only in the abstract sense, that would have been kind of a cool a cool thing. Because you make a real point, like what? Why is he reflexively being reassembled by all this technology when it's like that's uh, so? How how does that work again? You know. <laughs> You know, he's just getting ejected from the world, but there's no guarantee that he'd be put back together by the lasers. So, yeah, well, and really risky stuff because so he jumps into the beam to distract the MCP while the MCP is still functional. But then he distracts the MCP long enough for Tron to get a disc in there. Like, yeah. what if he's ha- halfway out and suddenly the MCP is blown up? <laughs> <laughs> right? Just, just reassembles his, his legs. And that's it. Oh, it's <laughs> Yes, halfway through the process. And so, like, yeah, so a lot of things. So we're saying, listener, do not try this at home. Do not it happen try to this work at out home. in this case. There's a yeah. lot of things that could go wrong here. So if you happen to have a laser, don't talk- try to dissemble yourself. In the beginning of the movie, it goes through a little bit in the in the novelization of what the reasoning process of the MCP is in disassembling him, because mm-hmm. he could just shoot him right through the chest with the laser, right? But then he's like, but then the cops will come, you know, and then the cops will investigate, and then they'll find out that I, the MCP, have been doing tons of illegal stuff, right? So. You I can't just destroy him. And then if he disappears, I got to bring him in. I got to bring him in. So I think he might already have like a, a backup spit him out again program running. Then that, that's what got kicked off. Wild conjecture on my part. It's an excellent point. There's no reason for him to actually come back into our world. But it's kind of like whenever you, you kill a hive queen and all the minions die, you know, like it's the end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, Sure. Okay, he's back in the real world now. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds great. You need that to happen. So the, yeah. the music pounds as Flynn rockets forward, back in his clothes and back in his biological form, looking around with this great sort of caveman, just woke up, what just happened kind of look on his face. There's just, there's just, there's just a smidge here. I don't know much about the guy, but he looks just a, just a little bit like Tucker Carlson for just a second there with his... <laughs> his face there yeah and but it's you know st- it's, it's a it's a great jeff bridges look of like yeah you know, confusion that that he, he does just in a way you know he doesn't get a chance to do it very often but i i, I did watch starman recently and there's a little bit oh a little yeah. bit of a little bit of it in that and uh because he does you know he does let his face go go slack and uh and he does a good sort of what 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 you know he can really really uh really dead in his face in that regard yeah. um so he's and looking fortunately, around there's the... a, 
And fortunately, there's a printer right by the workstation. It's not like he doesn't have to go off to the mailroom or no. whatever where the printers yeah. are set up. <laughs> yeah, it's right beside. You know, he's looking around the laser base, starting to understand what's happening as he's woken up from this weird dream and come back to reality. And he hears a printer and looks over to the old dot matrix printer beside the computer, singing the song of its people. I remember <laughs> we, we, we had this super old printer in the first house I shared with a bunch of other guys. It was at the bottom of the stairs, and it was so loud. And we used to do all these impressions of it. To this day, I can go up to any of them and just say, Briac, Briac. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, oh, that printer. Because we'll, uh, we just remember. This one's a little quieter than that one, but it's still, uh, still pretty loud. But it prints off the following. We have a printout to read out. And the printout says, NCOM MX 16-923 user 0176825. Is zero six hundred six in the morning, so we get a timestamp. It is six in the morning. Video game program Space Paranoids annexed August twenty or September twenty second nine twenty two by E Dillinger. Original program written by K Flynn. There's no full names here. It's all just E Dillinger and K Flynn. This information priority one, just like that sweet sweet kiss. End of line. <laughs> End and, of. Uh, end of line and then Flynn hurriedly tears off the printout looks at it in disbelief and says priority one with a chuckle <laughs> the music kicks in and it's that joyous jaunty kind of uh, kind of music and Flynn does this wonderful like James Brown kind of yeah. shriek uh, followed by wild cackling and laughing as he goes down the metal <laughs> stairs of the laser bay Yeah, in, says, in, in his excitement he seems to have forgotten that He's kind of trespassing. I mean, he had yeah. help, but he 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 broke and entered. He's trespassing. He could get into a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. But in his excitement, yeah, it gives a yeah and hey. Yeah. And... I think there was. Um, I think we talked. We we joked in the earlier minutes of uh, computer guards watching what was happening, seeing him get straight up disintegrated by the laser, and going, <laughs> oh. Well, that's a bit above our pay grade. Who's up for some poker? And just uh, right. they're just they're just like ignoring what's happening because they're like, uh, nope, too rich for our blood. I don't know right. what's going on. I could see they're a little bit of, hey, is that guy supposed to be there? Oh, well, he's gone now. Yeah, well, he's gone. Now. <laughs> Job is done. All right, job's done. <laughs> yeah, somebody should take him out. Oh, somebody took him out. Okay, someone took well, him out. You okay. You know. He says, uh, hey, as he dashes around the maze of the white metal structure and down to the floor to run out to meet up with uh, Alan and mm-hmm. Dr. Laura Baines. And the music changes to somber as uh, a long, lean Ed Dillinger. I think someone described uh, David Warner as the thinnest actor they've ever worked with. And it's not quite apparent throughout most of the film, but you can really see it here. He's really... Uh, He's just the, the the suits really draping off of him here, and he strolls mm-hmm. into his office with his briefcase. His office is so black and gray in eighties. I just I love it. This is the black and gray eighties, you know, not the uh, not the tie dye color eighties, but like not not tie dye, but not the neon color eighties. You know, this is like the black and gray and silver. He strolls over to his desk, and we can see that the sun is coming up in the background behind his picture windows. A little mm-hmm. 6 a.m. sun, and it's making the sky have that exact same gradient sunrise look as inside the grid when Yori, Tron, and Dumont are all looking at the I.O. towers turn blue. 
It's the same right. uh, it's the same sunrise there, which is pretty pretty cool. Nice little visual callback. Yeah, and then he he taps his desk to uh, get his morning news. Taps his desk to get his morning news. There's a little electronic prompt noise, and he's standing at his desk looking it down. And there's also some printer sound effects coming out of his desk, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if there's a printer in a drawer somewhere, <laughs> or maybe it's just an effect. Like, uh, remember the old ICQ or Messenger programs would have a, a clackety-clack mm-hmm. typewriter sound effect every time you typed a letter, or in uh, a lot of digital cameras, you'll get a you know, shutter sound effect right, when you yeah. press the button. Like, maybe shutter it's like that. Effect. So he's, he's leaning on his, uh, his computer desk on his knuckles in a very primate dominant stance there. And then we see the very beginning of the same information that was printed out on uh, Flynn's Flynn's printout. Now this is this is another sort of aspect of confusion in the film for me because a computer can print out whatever you want it to print out. You know, like I can print out a degree saying I'm a doctor, but that doesn't make it true. So this is this isn't much in the same in the way of proof. You know, it's like it's printed on his desk and it's it's printed in uh, on a piece of paper i'm assuming there's some sort of key somewhere that says like this is official encom verified memo or or maybe i'm missing the point like i don't know how else they could have represented it other than a montage of maybe dillinger being hounded by journalists and a newspaper headline spinning up to the screen you know like <laughs> yeah. in 19 foot dillinger you know abdicates the throne you know by by that right. or something i don't <laughs> yeah, know yeah I, I I did wonder a little bit about Flynn's excitement because what, yeah, like you said, he could just print, type this up or, you know, have the printer print whatever he wants. And there's nothing here. Well, most of what we have here would be information that he already had. So the video game program, Space Paranoids, he would know. He yeah. would have a date when he suspected the, you know, the... The, the transfer of ownership of the program happened within the system. He know who mm-hmm. took it. He know yeah. he's the original writer and it was taken by, by Dillinger. The only thing I, and I, I presume he would know, well, I assume the user number zero one seven six eight two five. I don't know if that's come up before. I assume that's just Flynn's user number in the system. Yeah. So the only thing he wouldn't know would be that sort of MX one six nine two three. If that code meant something. Yeah, maybe. Right, maybe that's yeah. the code that he was looking for. If, it gets if, more. What's that? Yeah, I was just gonna say. Yeah, if somehow that's, you know, that's the silver bullet. That's the thing that that can you can someone can trace that into something in the system that signifies that this is actual output, not not something that Flynn just typed up on his own. Yeah, and one of the original concepts for the film, Flynn, but just before he left. He uh, randomized the access numbers. And so it's somewhere in the system, but nobody knows where, including him. Mm-hmm. So he's looking for it, but also the MCP is looking for it. So it's this race against time between the two of them to find the file. Uh, wow. And then in the movie, it changed where it's like the MCP knows exactly where it is and he has it protected in his own memory. But he's like, Flynn's pretty talented. And Tron's pretty talented. And so, yeah, Tron Tron and Flynn are, they might get to it. So we got to do something about it. So it's kind of, he's he becomes more of the, 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 the dragon on top of the horde of gold rather than uh, uh, a fellow investigator trying to get to the, kind of trying to get to the program in time. Which I can see 
I can see why they changed it. One, because the MCP is stationary. He can't exactly run around the grid looking for stuff. So that would have okay. been a kind of a, uh, that would have been kind of a cool movie though. If the, um, if the MCP, cause they kind of, they do this thing where they split, they split the bad guys into the MCP and Stark and they split the good guys into Tron and Flynn. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's this duality on, uh, in this movie that I don't see very much of in other, in other movies, especially when it comes to the, to the protagonist. So, um, yeah, it would have been kind of neat to see the actual MCP running around to some big, some big giant maybe or something. I don't know. That would have been kind of cool. But you know, yeah. whatever. Because yeah. I mean, if if Dumont can come out of his housing, then I suppose the MCP can come out of his housing. But he looks like yeah, he is a he's an old he's an old man in the in the in the movie. Yeah. So well, I guess maybe. the MCP is at a point where it's. It's dangerous. You you leave yourself unprotected. Yeah, if you yeah. come out, so he's he's content to send other programs to do his bidding. Yeah, he's in the he's in the center, but he's also vulnerable. If you just took him out of his shell and threw him yeah. on the on the mesa, he'd be like easy prey. So that's why he's yeah. got himself all all protected. Yeah, it makes he, sense. He wouldn't. Yeah, he wouldn't last a microcycle on the game grid. Nope, he wouldn't last a microcycle. Not unless he had a giant power suit or something like that. So uh, in the differences between the screenplay and the novel, in the novel, the printout is more detailed. It says like file equals disk one, Flynn, memo 700, 706, dot Flynn, uh, slash, hist, slash, list all. So there's more commands going on there. And then it says file system, accounting, log directory, access, history, username, Kevin O. Flynn, password, flotilla, Subdirectory game software access control. This user encryption protection level five. Other users access denied. Access history, and then it's got a bunch of columns of file name, project name, file created, last access, with the heading, uh, the headings para, vice, light, circ mass, and warp, followed by spare, space paranoids, vice squad, light cycles, circuit masters, and warp factor, uh, followed by dates and by Flynn in the created column and last access are all on August 30th by Dillinger. So it's more clear in the movie, but I don't think circuit masters or warp factor have been mentioned yet as in the film as games. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a, a matrix blaster and I think there was a tail gunner or something like that, but they didn't say circuit masters or warp factor. So those are, Two new, two new fictional uh, video game titles that have been added to the canon. I imagine Warp Factor can't be used because of the Star Trek copyrights. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, the other thing to note, Kevin O'Flynn. Mm-hmm. Kevin Flynn has a middle name and it starts with O, and I don't know, uh, I don't know what it is. I can't find it. It's not. Doesn't seem to be in the in the lore anywhere. Oscar. I don't know. Uh, and in a, like in the screen, there's also a little bit here where in the screenplay for the bit in the caves, there's uh Ram says, so where are you from? And Flynn says, oh, I'm from the Paramus division. And, uh, and Ram's like, oh, Paramus, eh? Uh, what's that? Permissions applied reticular. Well, who knows what that stands for? And, uh, but I was really confused because I'm like, what does, because it's never mentioned before or after in the screenplay. But in the fourth draft of the script for the film, Flynn is supposed to be from Paramus, New Jersey. 
So that clears that mystery up. All right. So uh, we get some answers. It's good to get some answers <laughs> for uh, for nothing that made it into the film. So right. uh, yeah, sometimes these movie-by-minute uh, treks can send you down very dusty, unused corridors that nobody cares about, and that's <laughs> one of them. But, you know, I can sleep tonight because I know that's how. That's where the Paramus came from. Uh, in the screenplay, he looks out the window after being reconstituted to see that it's dawn. But of course there's no, uh, there's no windows in the laser facility and he runs out to reunite with Alan Bradley and Dr. Laura Baines, but there's no scene of Dillinger getting the news from his, uh, from his enormous desk. So that's a pretty big change. The denouement in the screenplay is entirely different. Or was that the denouement or the epilogue or just, no, it's just the final scene. That's not like yeah. epilogue. So like five changes. years later. Yeah. Well, I guess that takes us to the end of minute 90. The milestone. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. So our, our intrepid hero made it there and back again. Made it and there then and we'll back see, again. Um, we'll see what kind of reaction uh, Dillinger has. He has returned from his travels with knowledge gained and a reward. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got a whole new take on what happens inside the computer. I kind of I like his arc because he goes in, and at the beginning he's like, "Oh, this is a dream. Oh, this is a hoot. Oh, this is fun. Oh, this is dangerous. Oh my gosh, friends of mine have literally died. Okay, this mm. is actual real talk." And and then he starts to really feel the stakes, and that's a really cool arc for him to kind of go on because in the beginning he's not really taking it seriously. He's just trying to feel it out, what's going on, like in a dream. Like, you know, if you're having a dream about dinosaurs and you're like, oh, okay, I'm probably in a dream right now, you know, but then uh, maybe right. you get a leg chewed off or something and you're like, okay, dream <laughs> dream or not, <laughs> like, I got to find shelter. This is, this is real. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Anyway, so there you go. Great film. Not over yet. Home stretch. Thank you very much for joining me and uh, seeing his this the MCP explode, blow up real good, and seeing uh, seeing Flynn come back to the real world. It's been fantastic having you on the show, Sean. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been uh, a lot of fun and a really exciting week. Um, a lot of action, a lot of fun stuff that's happened. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To go over, do you want to uh, one last time go over where people can find you if they want to hear more of your mellifluous tones? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, one last time, head on over to catandshawn.org. It's C-A-T-Cat and Sean, S-E-A-N.org. And there I link to uh, my movie podcast, my non-movie podcast, my guest appearances, including this one. If you're not sure how you got here and what you're listening to, head on over to catandshawn.org, and I'll, uh, I have a link to this, among other things. So, yes, please check it out. Excellent. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, go over to tronologicallyspeaking.com or drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking or send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com if anybody still uses email for these kind of things. And uh, join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Minute by Minute listeners page. Or just check us out on all of your reputable podcasts of choice. Uh, shout out to pond5.com of, uh, for the music. And uh, also special thanks to the Star Wars Minute. Starting it all and keeping it real. Go on over to uh, moviesbyminutes.com and see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, which would be surprising, but I went and Tron wasn't there, so I was surprised. 
And so I thought, somebody needs to do that. And then I thought, well, I just said the magic words. Somebody should really do something about this. Oh, no. <laughs> that means I have to do something about it. Yeah. So it's a very... You're a somebody. Yeah, I'm do a something. somebody. Yeah. So it's a, an inclusive and encouraging community. So please uh, please head on over there and check it out. Uh, do you want to try a little final, a final end of line on three? I would love to. All right. One, two, three. End, End of, of line. line.